another countdown, another uh, feature of Riverside. So uh, uh, thanks uh, uh, for joining us for another episode of the Same Shade of Difference podcast. Uh, soon to be uh, rebranded and, and renamed, but uh, we'll we'll talk about that another time. Uh, today's guest is uh, Howard Rains, and uh, I've got a whole slew of things I'm interested in talking with, with Howard about. Uh, I came across Howard when I started looking for uh, scooters instead of motorcycles, when I, I started uh, to get another motorcycle and stumbled across a whole, uh, I'm going to call it a subculture of, uh, of cool scooter people that just, um, it just, it spoke to me. And uh, Howard was one of the first people that I, I came across. And so Howard, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. Good to be here. So um, just jump, kind of jump in. I know that uh, that I came across you because of your scooter magazine, and right. and we'll we'll talk about that. But uh, how did you get? How did you first start to get involved in scooters, and and what what does that look like? I mean, have you been riding for years and years? I, I noticed you have um, when you did your your year end uh, odometer reading. You have you have quite the uh, uh, inventory of scooters. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I um, I had a couple of uh, small motorcycles when I was a kid. I had a Honda SL seventy. I, I grew up on a farm in New Mexico, um, Roswell, to be precise. And uh, mm. they were fun. But my my mother was a driver's education teacher, and so she emphasized the danger of of two wheeled uh, vehicles. So. I just never, uh, whenever I reached, you know, it was old enough to actually drive and get a license. It never occurred to me to get a motorcycle because, you know, they were just really dangerous. And so I, I never got one. Um, we lived in Missouri for a little while and a friend, um, actually gave me a Honda Goldwing, a 1976 Goldwing. And this would have been, um, somewhere around 1990. So it was an older bike. And Big bike I, I, though. Yeah, a big bike. I was well. I'm a bigger fellow, so you know it was it wasn't uh, oversized for me, and the older ones weren't that big. But uh, you know, I I enjoyed riding it around, but it had mechanical issues, and I really couldn't afford to to keep it running, so I didn't really get to ride it all that much. Um, so kind of fast forward, we moved to uh, Tucson, and uh, the, which is I grew up here, so came back after my dad passed away, but. Um, I rode a bicycle for a long time. I was a bicycle commuter and I did a lot of long distance riding, but I blew my knee out. And so like about a year after blowing my knee out, one day my son came to me and he said, dad, I think I want to buy a scooter. Is there some place where we could go to, to test ride them? Well, there was a place uh, not far from us called scoot over and um, <laughs> I took him down there and uh, the, uh, the proprietor was, she was just super and, she took him out and kind of gave him some brief instruction. And she actually ran alongside him as he rode up and down the, the alley behind the store on, on a, uh, on a scooter. And she finally cut, she was comfortable that he was safe on it. So she cut him loose and said, look, just, there's a neighborhood right back behind the store. Go ahead and go back there and ride around for a little bit and let us know what you think. And then he took off and then she came to me and she says, well, Mr. Rains, would, do you want to try riding one? Have you ridden a bike before? So I told her I'd ridden and she said, here, there's one right there. Hop on it. Go take a ride. 
And I, I fell in love with that thing. And so I actually bought one before my son did. And it was a, uh, it was a 2008 genuine buddy 150. And I immediately jumped in into the deep end with it. I started commuting right away, started, you know, just riding everywhere I could on my days off from work. And, um, and it wasn't long before I had a second scooter because, well, actually that, that same year, that was in March of 2008 that I bought the bike. Uh, by the end of the year, I had founded a scooter club and, uh, a guy in the, in the newly formed club ran into financial difficulties, asked me if I would, uh, buy his, uh, genuine Stella from him, a little two stroke Stella. So I, mm -hmm. I bought that. And so then I had two scooters and my, uh, my son had purchased a, uh, SYM, uh, 250 CC scooter. Cause he's, he's a big fellow too. And he wound up, uh, well, maybe the following year or so he moved to, uh, Texas and he couldn't take both his car and the scooter with him. So I took over the payments on the 250 and then I had three scooters and it's just kind of gotten out of control from there. There were as many as eight out in the driveway at one time. And my wife finally said, you know, I don't mind you having more than one, but I think eight might be a little excessive. So I have trimmed the herd down a little bit. I, I think, um, well, there's three of mine in the driveway right now and, and, uh, one in the backyard and one in the shop that's in tiny pieces. So I guess, I guess I'm sort of down to five, but only three are rideable right now. And, and one has a sidecar. I saw that's, that's super right. cool. Yeah, I have a, a Honda Helix with a sidecar on it that I take the grandkids for rides in and they do, they absolutely love it. So the, the Helix, I see a lot of those, um, on the, the classifieds and, um, I see a lot of people that still ride them. So I assume they're, uh, they're a many year, many miles sort of uh, scooter. Yes, they, um, they're a Honda product. So, you know, they're a good solid quality product and they started making those in 86 and the last model year was 2004 and they just made a zillion of them and they sold pretty well here in the U S and uh, so there are lots of used examples out there. Some of which have really low mileage. I've had four of them uh, myself. Um, well, five of you. So I have two, but I've had three others that I bought and sold uh, later on. And I love them. So, uh, like ever. yeah, yeah. I mean, people seem to, like really like them. I noticed some, uh, there was a, a ride that was going to happen in Alabama um, that I was going to drive down and, and see some of the people I've been talking to online. And, and uh, I think I'd mentioned to that to you via email and it, it got canceled due to illness. But uh, some of those guys were coming over from Georgia uh, on the Honda. And, uh, and so they ended up riding anyway and, and saw some cool pictures and, and such. So, um, I noticed, uh, I haven't heard you, um, say Vespa, which seems to be a big part of the, um, the subculture. Yeah, because Vespa is synonymous with scooter. You know, a lot of people, if they say Vespa, they mean scooter, you know, they'll just say I have a Vespa, uh, but they don't have that particular brand. Um, so it, it's kind of just synonymous with the word, um, that in the word moped. <laughs> so, which, right. you know, diehard scooter people hate the word moped, you know, it doesn't have pedals. So, uh, uh, you know, Vespa being the, the premium, you know, the ultimate, uh, in quality, you know, uh, you know, the high level brand. So kind of like similar to owning a, 
or Mercedes or, or something like that to, to the car culture. Um, I've never owned one personally, but you know, but they're out there plenty and plenty of uh, hardcore Vespa lovers out there. Yeah, it seems like it. I, I'm, uh, I'm still because of lack of inventory around where I'm at. I'm, I'm still uh, the powder's dry. So I'm, I've been looking at Vespas, and then kind of my next question was uh, your newest uh, scooter is the uh, the Kimco, and I had started looking at that because of uh, a guy down in Alabama, uh, Larry. Uh, Clampett on some of the the forums um, had one, and and he was very positive about it. And so far, I've seen your your posts seem like you like it. I do, yeah. It's the uh, the Kimco AK five fifty. So it's, uh, I think the Kimco calls it a super tourer. Uh, so it's kind of it falls in that super scooter category, being large, two cylinder, uh, has a real sporty look, sporty feel to it, and. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. It's it's such a big difference from most of the other scooters I've had. I one of the other scooters I've currently got is a Bergman 650, um, and so there's some similarities. Although the Bergman is is larger and um, has a lot more storage capacity, they have similar horsepower ratings, similar top speed ratings, uh, but the AK is definitely sportier of the two. So I, um, it, it turns out that, uh, that my journey in towards scooters is, is very similar to yours. I, I don't know if you can see, but, uh, this is a, a fat cyclist, uh, uh, sweatshirt. So I, uh, I, I rode regular bikes, then recumbents when, uh, I started having back problems and, and then, uh, motorcycles uh uh again and and such so uh, i am also a tall uh, large guy and so um having not been able to set on one of the ak-550s i was i was curious uh what their comfort level was um larry acted like he was not a uh, tall fat guy so, yeah. so uh, he, he wasn't much out there I am. Uh, I'm still hoping to uh, find one of those. So um, to, to to at least set on. So so you did all this. Uh, you you fell in love with scooters and you you started a, a club. And I guess that evolved into. Um, hey, I've got to start a scooter zine magazine. Um, how, how did all that come together? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question and not a real easy one to answer. So uh, from 2008 to 2013, there was a scooter magazine called Scoot um, that was an American scooter magazine. There are there are other scooter magazines out there, uh, Scootering and uh, and I'm drawing a blank on the other big one right now, but they're British UK based uh, magazines and they really focus on the mod culture and there's lots of those. They feature a lot of the bikes that have the mirrors and the headlights, and they've got beautiful custom paint jobs on them. Uh, but that's not my experience with the bikes. Um, there's not a big, here in Southern Arizona, there's not a big mod culture. There's a lot of people who love the Vespas and the old Lambrettas and just ride the heck out of them. But that whole uh, custom scene wasn't uh, mm -hmm. hasn't been real big here. And, and I'm more of a user. I was a commuter. I wasn't a guy that was spending a lot of time painting and doing a lot of modifications to the bike. I just wanted to ride. And, and I enjoy riding a lot. 
And so, um, so those magazines didn't really appeal to my perspective of, of writing. Um, Scoop Magazine had a lot of American things in there, but uh, they also spent a lot of issues talking about that same similar culture, but they also had a, a nice smattering of, uh, you know, people doing long distance rides or tours here in the States. But in 2013, they ceased to exist. And um, nobody stepped up to, to take the place of Scoot. And uh, why on earth I decided that I would be the guy to try to do that I, it is difficult to explain. Um, initially, what I decided to do um, was start a, a newsletter, using air quotes here, a newsletter sure. um, that would focus on um, my region. Because... Um, I do a lot of writing. I've ridden all over Arizona. Uh, plus, I've been in all the four corner states, uh, New Mexico, Utah, and Colorado. And I, I know people um, through Facebook and you know things like that. I know a lot of people in those states. So I thought, well, I'm, I, I'm just going to start a regional newsletter that focuses on the, the roads that I'm familiar with. And I can talk to the people that I already know. Um, and, and just do that. And so I created this initial issue and I uh, talked about it a little bit in social media. And I said, hey, I'm going to start this thing here. And I have this free issue, a, a free example. Um, and I had figured, uh, you know, I didn't want to just be printing this free of charge necessarily. So I decided I would start it as a, a subscription thing, mostly so it paid for itself. And so I said, first issue will be free. But if you like the idea, you like the concept, um, you know, go ahead and subscribe and we'll, we'll take it from there. And so I had a fairly good response to that, that free issue and people all over those four states, plus some other ones, uh, plus a few other states, um, you know, had me mail them that free issue. And then the second issue was the first subscription issue. And uh, not only did I get a, a decent response from the region, but I had people from outside the region. Uh, you know, I had like by the time the second issue came around, I probably had another eight or 10 states represented. And so I realized, man, there's a, there's a bigger demand for this thing for some kind of publication about scooters uh, than just, you know, here in my region and the people who know me. So I think it was the third issue that I decided, well, let me just go ahead and kind of try to appeal to a broader national audience, but I just wanted to make it, you know, an American-based, American-focused uh, magazine. But I decided the content would really be the active scooter user. And for a while, that was kind of the subtitle I used, you know, a magazine for the active scooter rider. Um, and, you know, made it clear that I'm talking about the people who are commuting and who are riding and who are touring and, uh, you know, currently. And I, I didn't, didn't really want to focus on that custom culture because there's, there's still a good representation in magazines out there for that. And so I started contacting people to get individual stories. So the magazine is unique. Um, the content is unique in that I contact individual people by, you know, looking on, uh, the internet and Facebook and the various social media, people who have an interesting story. And I, I contact them and interview them and most of these stories have never been told anywhere other than their family and their immediate friends. So uh, those stories are ones that haven't been told to a national audience. And uh, so that's kind of where I've wanted to focus uh, the, the content and the direction of the magazine is finding people with unique stories that haven't been told.
Well, the content is terrific. I, I know that uh, I reached out and wanted to get some of the back issues and the back issues were just as relevant to me as, as all the new issues I've, I've received since uh, I started the subscription. So um, I know you put out a call for, would anybody, you know, be interested in acquiring, you know, all the issues and um, I, I was traveling, so I failed to respond, but yeah, because I, I find, I find all the back issues I've read so far is just as interesting. So uh, I think the, yeah, I think the content there that you're capturing the the unique stories is um, is is probably you know what drives the success for sure. Yeah, and you know, I like to what, interview shop owners and things like that as well, and clubs, uh, various clubs, to kind of get an idea of yep. what they're doing and make everybody around the country familiar with what's going on in the scooter scene at large. And I guess that uh, what what drew me into becoming interested in the scooters was seeing on all the various social media and and stumbling across stumbled across your magazine and and then YouTube channels of people like the Sarasota Vespa Club and um I I enjoy watching them go to breakfast um yeah. you know it's it's interesting and and I have I've followed a few overseas uh there's some some guys in London that uh uh are fairly salty uh, and they are of that uh, um, that modification uh, culture. So while, like you, I don't really want to do that, uh, I do occasionally find it interesting to see uh, what they've done. And, and some of those are, are riding some of the vintage scooters that, that I don't know anything about that are, you know, 20 years old. And, and uh, they have conversations about those. So like when we started, uh, you know, I just like to learn stuff. And so that's sort of cool. Yeah, yeah. It also seems like the uh, a lot of the the shops uh, have an online presence and do a good job of of just contributing to the the communities, whether it's in San Diego or Portland, etc. And then uh, I know you did a tour recently and stopped at what three or four shops. Yeah, yeah. We uh, took a tour. Uh, we we're actually going back to New England to visit my wife's family, but decided to add in some stops. So yeah, we stopped in Chicago to a shop and we had stopped in a sh uh, shop in Maine um, and uh, Los Angeles. Uh, so visited some people around the country, you know, from coast to coast. Yeah. And uh, so people, people showed up just to, to chat. Were there people that you knew before or, or were they all new people? Well, there were some that I knew um, either mostly through the magazine. They were, um, so in addition to the shop there in Maine, um, some representatives from the North Star Scooter Club came down and um, because I had featured them in the magazine in the past. So I already had contacts with a number of the members of the club. So I contacted them and said, hey, look, we're coming to New England. I'd love to uh, get together with you since I've talked to you via email and online. I'd love to meet you. And uh, so I got to meet them. And then it was similar when we got to Chicago. Um, I had featured Second City Scooters and the crew there in the magazine, just a great bunch of guys. And so they contacted their the people they know who are riding in the area. We had a, a great meet up there. Um, and so, you know, I, I had brought along some like trivia games and a bunch of prizes and uh, things like that. And so we at these meetups, we would, you know, play some games and uh, give away some some swag uh, from the from the magazine.
and then have food and stuff. And then uh, same way when I when I we got to Los Angeles, um, I uh, early on I think maybe the fifth or sixth issue I uh, featured Andy and uh, Sick Scooters S I K K. Um, so we went there to their shop, and I and I've met a I've met them before. They had a uh, a birthday party for the shop and uh, kind of a customer appreciation event. And uh, I had gone to Los Angeles and had uh, brought, you know, the magazine was, you know, went with the magazine and was there as a vendor at this big event that they had. And uh, so I had already personally met a, a number of the people there from the club and, and I had met Andy. So it was real easy to, to get together with him and, and do another similar event there in LA. Cool. Cool. That, uh, I think uh, that would have been uh, uh, nice to uh, to be able to show up for. I, I looked at the Chicago one to maybe come up, but uh, um, honestly, I still have a little PTSD from driving through Chicago to a tech conference uh, a couple of months before then, and and I just uh, I couldn't face I couldn't face it again. <laughs> so, uh, in addition to all this stuff, um, you also do some things like. Uh, uh, help put on a uh, an annual ride. So, uh, is it a few CCs more? And this was the fourth year, right? Yeah, this is our the uh, club our club's rally. Um, so the we had had a nine year hiatus from the rally. So we had had okay the club's very yeah the very club's very first rally was called May Day, uh, but the the second rally we decided to do the second big three day rally we we changed the name to a few CCs more. And, um, you know, because for a lot of us riding, that's kind of what we always, you know, we always want the bike to go just a little bit faster, or a little bit further. So we need just, you know, there's no replacement for displacement as the saying goes. And so, absolutely. and we were kind of, you know, being here in Southern Arizona, we were looking for, uh, you know, something kind of a, with a Western feel to it. And so we had gone to those spaghetti Westerns and finally came up with a, a few CCs more and, um, if you notice the, I don't know if you saw the poster slash t-shirt. Yeah. The poster is super cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, that, uh, Clint Eastwood silhouette there, but he's straddling a scooter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. but so we had had, um, we had had three few CCs more, uh, things, but you know, life kind of got in the way. And, um, so we, we went nine years without a big three day scooter rally. And we decided that, uh, Whenever we heard that Amero Vespa was going to be held here in Arizona, up in Flagstaff, we uh, decided, you know, we of the club decided that, uh, which is uh, the Sky Island Riders Scooter Club, just to get that out there. Uh, okay. We decided, you know, let's do a, a rally here in town to kind of get the locals pumped up to to ride with us up to Flagstaff. So we have a really nice showing um, up in Flagstaff at Amero Vespa. And so, you know, that was our primary you know, motive was to get people excited about a rally. Well, we haven't had one in nine years and a large percentage of my club have joined it since that last rally. So they've never seen a rally. And so we thought, well, we need to do one so they have an idea of what it would be like and how much fun they can be. And so we decided to go ahead and do that. And we, so we did it in November over the Veterans Day weekend uh, because we knew a lot of people would already get that day off. So it would make it easier for them to, to participate. So, yeah, that's what we did. It, uh, so how many people showed up? 
we had, I think, 50, 51 or 52, which was, um, you know, when you compare it to a Mara Vespa and some of the big rallies that you see, it, you know, that's that's not very much. But it's the most we've ever had at a rally. Uh, keep in mind, if you look at your map, Tucson is is way out of the way. It's not really on the way to any place. We are only um, about 60 miles from Mexico. And so, you know, we're way down here. So we, we're fairly isolated geographically. Um, we do have Phoenix. It's a, a little more than 100 miles away from us. And so we did get a, a, quite a few people from Phoenix come. Surprisingly, we had uh, several people come in from California. But uh, part of that is because I've met so many people there in Los Angeles and San Diego. But we had several riders come from both those cities um, to the event. And we had one fellow come down from uh, the Las Vegas area. So we had one from Nevada. Uh, so we were real pleased with the the number of people that showed up and we were prepared uh, for that number. Uh, you know, I wasn't prepared for a whole lot more than that. So we're, we're already planning our event for next year. We'll also be on Veterans Day weekend. And so we're planning for 75, hoping that the uh, success of this one and uh, that people that who, who may not have participated in this one, but do participate in a Mara Vespa, that they'll be wanting to do something, you know, another rally and we'll be ready come Veterans Day to, to do another one. So we're, we're planning for 75 and uh, hope to have a good time then too. Uh, the, um, the place, the, the hotel where you uh, hosted it looked uh, pretty cool. And then the, the meetup place for uh, all the food and entertainment seemed like a really unique place. Are those things that you're going to incorporate again this year? Or are you going to do something different? I, you know, the, everybody who stayed at the rally hotel, so it's called, it's called the hotel McCoy. I suppose technically it's a chain, but it's a chain of two. And the other one I think is in Minnesota. Uh, but it is a, it's kind of an artsy hotel. Mm -hmm. So there are our version of it anyway, is completely covered in murals all over the, all over the walls of the exterior part of the hotel. There are murals everywhere done by local artists. Um, Every one of the rooms has art hanging on the walls that you can purchase. Unlike most hotels where there's, yeah, there's art pieces in there, but they're just part of the hotel. Well, here, everything in there, if you like it, you can buy it uh, the same way in their lobby and in their little restaurant. Everything there is for sale and it's, it's, it's entirely local artists. So it really supports uh, our community in that regard too. And then the rooms themselves are, are, are different. It's, it's kind of a real quirky hotel, but some of the rooms have four bunk beds in them, which makes it perfect for a scooter rally. If you're coming sure. to Tucson from someplace else with some friends and you just want to split the cost of the hotel, um, you can all stay in a bunk bed in there. Or if you, you know, if you're a family with kids, it, it, that makes it easy too. So, um, you know, so for those reasons, that's the, kind of the reason why we chose that hotel. We just really loved kind of that quirky factor to it. And, uh, and its location isn't isn't too bad either. It's not centrally located, but it was good enough to give us a, a good jump off point for uh, several of the rides. Um, we bounced around a lot in terms of venues um, for restaurants. There, um, there was one that we used downtown that parking wound up being an issue for, but it had four restaurants and two bars all in the same area. And it uses containers, you know, the, the things that go on the back. That's the one, yeah, that I recall seeing. Yeah. So, um, uh, that one was, uh, the, and it's called the box yard. So it has, you know, box cars. So it, it's called the box yard. 
and uh, it's it's outdoor, but they're actually we didn't do anything indoors, but there are are a couple of the containers that they've converted to where they just have seating in them. But most of them have the, you know the food choices in it. But it gave everybody a nice selection of food uh, from which to choose. Um, and, you know, it's comfortable. There's all these lawn chair kind of things out there, plus some big tables. And uh, I think it worked out pretty well other than the, the seating, uh, the parking issue. But we, we got everybody parked eventually. Um, so, you know, that was nice. All right. Good deal. So, so uh, and I don't know much about Amera Vespa other than, than what I've read online. But I thought I read that it, that you, you asked to host it so that, was how it moved around is, is that your understanding? And are you all in, is your club involved in, in the Amera Vespa event in any way? Well, so, so you're correct in that um, it's kind of like the Olympic games, only a little bit smaller, but um, <laughs> you, you apply to be a host club and host city. And so they have a, an application process that you go through. And then uh, basically you're telling them here are the reasons why, my community and my club should should host this event. So they want a club that has enough members where they can cope with, you know, having four or 500 people show up. And so because, you know, you need to lead rides and you have to have people who can act as blockers um, to to be able to keep the whole herd of everybody together. Um, and then you need to have a city that is capable of hosting an uh, event that size. And then, the, and they also ask you, what kind of rides do you have? Because you want to have something that, you know, where people have interesting, fun rides to do. Um, and so that's kind of what is on that application process. Um, they had actually asked me, um, they'd asked me a couple of years ago if we would be interested in applying, but Tucson is not a good host city. Uh, they want to host Amera Vespa in June, and June is the hottest month of the year here in Tucson, with temperatures routinely greater than 100 degrees. And uh, it would be uh, dangerous for people who are not acclimated to this. You know, uh, and absolutely, even home, yeah. I don't do any significant distance rides um, in the summertime because you know we have to watch out for the safety of our riders and you know not worry you know, not have to worry about somebody getting heat stroke or or you know something you know a heat related injury so we have to be really careful so we're just not a good city for that but um the gentleman who runs the uh um Glenn Gallatin who is the uh leader of the the Phoenix scooter club he had applied but Phoenix also is not a good host city again because of the heat and so he had uh put forth having Flagstaff be the host community um, so while we plan on, you know, being a significant presence there, uh, we are not directly involved with. OK. No. And then the and magazine is a vendor as well as a vendor. Yeah. And Flagstaff is at a higher elevation. Right. So it'll it'll be cooler. Right. Yeah. So Flagstaff is um, a little above 6000 feet of elevation. So in June, if you go to Amera Vespa, folks, you can anticipate uh, low temperatures in the upper 40s, low 50s in June there. So, oh wow, in the mornings. Yeah, well, and and in Kentucky, my I always prefer not to ride uh, previously my motorcycle in the middle of summer here. The heat and the humidity. I'd much rather ride in the spring, fall, and, and even winter if there's not anything on the roads. 
uh, and it's, you know, above 20, 25 degrees, it, I'd still rather be a little cold than, than just be covered up with, uh, uh, I don't know, a, a helmet and all the gear, um, at 95 and 100 degrees. And, and I don't realize you all don't have a lot of humidity, but we have all the humidity that you all don't have, uh, in Kentucky. And, uh, yeah, it's just miserable. Right. Well, I can tell you what's made the difference for me in writing in the heat. And I've written about this in the magazine before, but um, wearing a camelback uh, on your back underneath your jacket. So it's important that it's as close to your skin as possible. Now, if you fill that rascal with, with ice, you get that cooling effect on your blood as it circulates across, the, across your back. And uh, it's night and day difference in how well your body tolerates that being able to get your core. Uh, I'm a nurse by profession. And so, you know, the, the, the kind of the science comes in there, but being able to have your basically a, a radiant radiator cooling of your blood uh, as it circulates past you, it really keeps your core temperature down. It doesn't make it any more pleasant, you know, any, any more comfortable on the exterior, but it does, it will help prevent a, a heat related injury. Sure. Uh, so I recommend that to all of our riders in the summertime. That's a great tip. I'll uh, I have to keep that in mind. I have not done that, um, but uh, I've used handlebacks for years for stand up paddleboarding and things like that. Right. So uh, yeah. that's a great tip. So um, were there any any uh, changes in the magazine that you anticipate in the future? Any any ideas that you're hoping to implement or or um, is uh, is it working so well that uh, that you're just going to keep trying to reach out to the community and have uh, have them tell stories? Um, I don't really I don't see any need to change the format of the magazine. I you know I really like the idea of having these personal stories um, in there. Now we do toy with different. Um, uh, what do I say? Different types of articles. So we we not every issue has a scooter history uh, article in it, but we've had a number. But we've had an ongoing probably of the twenty four issues uh, that we've had. Probably close to half of them have a, a historical uh, article in there about either one type of scooter or usually it's more one one make and model. So you kind of get an idea of where that particular scooter came from. Uh, we also have, uh, you know, I have some done some scooter fiction. Uh, so if anybody has a fictional story that involves a scooter, it doesn't have to be the, the focus of the story. But if there are scooters somehow involved, I'd be glad to po- uh, uh, publish uh, short stories. Um, I've done some scooter poetry. Um, I actually, uh, since we're kind of on to that, one, one special thing that I want to do next month, and I'll be talking about this uh, here over the probably the next week, is I want to run a, a scooter haiku contest uh, and okay. have people yeah. write haikus. And uh, will I've got a uh, an independent judge who who she's a school teacher here uh, in Tucson, and she will judge them, and then we will publish the winners. And then I'm going to try to find a way uh, to publish all of them, uh, probably in a digital format. But we'll publish the winners, and I'll you know I'll have a couple of prizes. Uh, but, uh, I, I did the scooter haiku thing probably 10 years ago in our club and we had a great time with it. Uh, but you know, so it was a lot of fun. That's, so, that's, yeah. that sounds super cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. And it's just, you know, something fun to do. Um, uh, but, 
we also just recently started a series and then there'll be a, a second one in this next issue that comes out, uh, but we call it battle scooters. And that is that scooter that is bounced around from person to person in this, either within the same club or within the same geographical area. Uh, but, you know, it just keeps showing up with different owners and maybe it may or may not have been mistreated or, or, you know, but it just, for whatever reason, it bounces around. So our, our battle scooters we're hoping to make into an ongoing series as we learn more about uh, some specific scooters that have been around uh, certain areas. I, I also have run um, some, I had a one issue dedicated to small bore uh, bikes, and that is ones under 100 cc's. Most of those are the, you know, the 50 cc scooters, but it would include the, the 80s and the 100s and the 72s. Um, and then I try to feature a small bore rider from time to time, somebody who just loves those small bore bikes. And then we've had a couple of other kind of specialty uh, articles that we've done that we that we want to make into a series. Do you, um, before we, we move off of this to, to the last thing I wanted to talk with you about, do, do you cover the, the scooter cannonball run other than, having a, a story from a, a rider in there is is that something that you've you've ever covered that it, maybe i just missed in the back issues that i i've seen um so yes in a couple of different ways so the last scooter cannonball i was kind of covering a lot of it live um via my social media so i was okay getting a few reports and so the the instagram and the facebook i was doing some some live reports uh at the typically at the end of each day, but if I learned something in the middle of the day, I would uh, pass it on. So I, I did that and I anticipate doing that again, um, you know, here in 2023. And then I had, while I've had featured a couple of the writers um, who have been cannonballers, um, Brooke Dane being, uh, being one of those, uh, there's been a couple of other ones. I did do a cannonball issue. Uh, and what I did was I contacted as many cannonballers as I could, and I asked them what their most memorable day of the cannonball was. And so I think I wound up with 17 stories uh, that were all featured in the same issue of the magazine. And, uh, you know, so whenever I told them memorable, I said, it doesn't have to be memorable for a good reason. It's just the, th the day you're going to remember more. It could be, you know, good, bad, but, you know, whatever. And it was really neat the way it turned out because, I had some people that their favorite day was the day before the cannonball started, their most memorable day, uh, because of whatever happened that allowed them to finally get to the starting line. And then uh, there were a couple of people who that, that first day, the, the day of the start was their most memorable day, getting to see these people that they'd met online and getting to see them face to face for the first time. And that excitement of, of finally taking off on this thing that you'd planned for for a year. Um, and then there were people that, you know, the first half, you know, somewhere in that first half the, was their most memorable, memorable day. And then there were a few that it was in the, the latter half. And then there were a couple that, of course, the finish was their most memorable day that they had finally completed this, this huge event. And so I really liked the way the issue came out, that there was a little bit of everything in there because I used every story that was submitted to me. So it was really neat that it kind of represented the the entire gamut of the event. Um, and it was neat to see how some of the stories um, were, were related to one another 
uh, in that the people had either seen or had experienced the same thing that another writer had, but you got to see a, a, a completely different perspective on the same event. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, that's cool. a good issue, one of my favorites. Wow, wow. Have you ever thought about writing in it yourself? I've, I have thought about it. Um, it's, it's expensive. And, uh, right. and for me, I, 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 one, you know, I just don't have a lot of expendable income, uh, to do something like that. And, it, you know, I would kind of like, if I were going to do a, a cross country event, I, I think I would like to do it on my own terms and be able to t do it in my own time. Not that I necessarily want to, uh, take, you know, a month to cross the country, but, I'd rather be kind of in in control of where I went and what part of the country I saw rather than be kind of stuck to a certain path uh, that you do. But I don't know. I, I kick the idea around uh, pretty much every every time there's a cannonball, I kick the idea around of doing the next one. Um, they're saying that not this year, but next year's uh, event is going to be far more difficult, that there's going to be more off-road um, in it than there has been in other ones, at least that's one of the rumors I heard. And that appeals to me doing one that's, that's, uh, you know, really diff physically the challenge. Uh, and, uh, because I've done a lot of, of off pavement riding on my scooters, I've torn a couple of them up, which is another reason why I'm not really interested in the custom scooter because I'm kind of hard on my bikes and, and going through bushes and dirt and rocks and things like that are things that don't bother me but I tend to scratch my bikes up. <laughs> I don't buy. So if you did it, would you, yeah. Would you do, would you ride your Kemco or would you ride something else? Um, I don't know. Given, given that my, you know, I acquired, uh, the Kemco last year. And then right at the very end of, of 22, I got the, the Bergman. Um, you know, I, I tend to lean toward the Helix, uh, and getting the, the helix that I have that's in pieces, uh, getting it fixed up for something like that. Plus it's an 87. So you, you get that, uh, get the handicap on the age of the bike. The handicap, yeah, would, would work well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I don't know. I, I, I would, well, the Kimco wouldn't, uh, qualify anyway, because they only go up through 300 CC bikes. So, uh, it would have to be one of the smaller ones. That's true. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. So, all right, good deal. Well, I appreciate this is this is super stuff. Before I let you go, um, you 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 alluded to your visits to the, uh, the scooter shops, but but you didn't say how you got there. And uh, another thing that I've always been interested in is is train travel. And and so while we were in the Keys uh, this past week, uh, Amtrak rolled out their uh, sale for a 30-day uh, uh, USA rail pass that's mm -hmm. normally $500 for $200 off. And uh, you can get 10 segments for uh, uh, 30 days and go anywhere on on the their routes. And uh, so uh, I know that you traveled from, uh, from Tucson to uh, the East Coast. So uh, what uh, did you, is that your first train travel or you do it often and what did you like and, and what didn't you like? Um, that is our first long train trip. We've done some of the excursion trips, like going um, up to the Grand Canyon from Williams, Arizona. We've done that a couple mm -hmm. of times just on their you know, kind of old fashioned train. 
but uh, we had never done a train trip. So we hadn't been to see my wife's folks in, in Massachusetts in uh, a number of years. So we knew it was time for us to, to go up there and see them while we still have them with us. And neither of us cares for uh, air travel. We, we just we just don't like it. Um, we're not frightened of them. We just don't enjoy flying by by airplane. And I love to drive. Just love it. I'll drive. I'll drive or ride anywhere. And so we uh, were initially planning on driving up there, but it does take quite a while so to, to get there. And uh, I, you know, I still work. Uh, I work at the Veterans Hospital here in Tucson. And so I have to get the time off and then we have to kind of drive up there as fast as we can and drive back. Uh, so there would always be that that push for time. So, you know, one day we were talking about it and we said, you know, made the recommendation, well, why don't we look at taking the train? Yeah, let's, we've always kind of talked about doing a, a long train trip. And so we looked at that and while it's a, while it's expensive, uh, it's more expensive than either flying or taking the car, it also has advantages. You know, your room and board is taken care of. You don't have to worry about a hotel every night because, you know, you're staying on the train and you don't have to worry about your meals. So that kind of mitigates some of the cost. Uh, but, you know, the idea appealed to us and we could get from Tucson to New England in uh, three nights and four days. Uh, so that made it faster than, than than going by car and would give us more more time up there. Um, so we just started putting it together uh, and trying to see how feasible it was. And it looked like it would work out real well. And then we decided, well, you know, since we're doing this, rather than go up to New England and turn around and come back when we're done, um, you know, where else could we go by train? And so if you look at the Amtrak sites and the, the people who follow Amtrak, the most beautiful uh, train trip in America is supposed to be taking the California Zephyr, which is the one that goes between Chicago and San Francisco. And so we thought, have in for a penny and for a pound. Let's just go ahead and add the Zephyr on so we can get this most beautiful train trip in America and, and do that while we're at it. And then that would also have allowed us to run down the coast of California on the coast starlight uh, because we will occasionally take vacations to the San Diego area or Los Angeles and you always see that train running right along the coast. And so we thought, well, that would be pretty too. So we kind of put this whole package together and and bought the tickets, and it, it wound up being um, right at ten thousand miles um, is what we wound up doing. So, okay. train travel takes a, a little bit of getting used to it. It, it. Parts of it were not at all what we expected. Um, the, the train is a lot rougher. Uh, you man, you bounce around a lot. If you have balance issues, it's probably not the way for you to travel because you get knocked around the train all the time. While you're in the dining car, it's pretty common for somebody to fall into your lap because the train lurches just about the time they're next to you. Uh, they repeatedly tell you on the overhead, you know, there are handles throughout the train. Make sure you use them uh, and you need them. And I, I just was not really, you know, when you watch movies with people traveling by train, you don't see them lurching and falling all over the place very often. So that that part was was pretty surprising. Um it's also like staying at a, or going to a restaurant where, you know, when you go to a restaurant, your server can really make or break your uh, how you feel about that particular restaurant. Even if the food is good, you may have a negative image of that restaurant based on the server. So when you're on the train, 
you have a, a variety of, of servers. You have, uh, you, you know, you have the guy that's in your car, your, your attendant for your car. And he's the guy that makes your bed down at night, you know, folds the beds down and puts them up in the morning and he, you know, gets, keeps the coffee urn going. And, um, he's just your go-to guy. And we had good ones and bad ones. And then you have the, the guys who were in charge of the dining car, uh, and we had good ones and bad ones. So we had kind of a, a mixed bag. They, you know, there were, but the, the trip itself was amazing. And I enjoyed not driving for a change. I wasn't sure how I would feel about it, but I took 3000 photographs while we were gone. And a lot of those were taken from the train window. And I just really enjoyed being able to just stare out the window. And I, and I did so for hours, hours and hours, uh, just staring out the window and watching America roll by. Um, a friend of mine said that uh, taking Amtrak is like going through America's backyard. And it really is. Uh, and it's quite literal in some senses because the, the train will be, you'll look at the back of a lot of people's houses. Uh, so you're looking at swing sets and dog houses and, and things like that. You're going through people's backyards. And uh, so you you really get a different perspective of, of America when you take the train. And uh, we decided, you know, we, we would do it again, given the opportunity and, and the money. Okay. So. That's, that's, that's interesting. So, um, so yeah, I had heard that, uh, the route from, from Chicago to, uh, San Francisco was terrific, but also, uh, from the, the starlight, I guess, from, um, Seattle all the way down the coast mm -hmm. as well right. is supposedly, uh, one of the most scenic ones, uh, uh, too. So, uh, I, I just, I've just started looking to see how can I, how can I piece this this together and stay within the 10 segments in the 30 days and, and, uh, and not have a bunch of expensive overnights and stuff like that. Now the, the rail pass is not a room at it's, it's, it's just a coach seat. So I thought if I could figure out how to, uh, strategically stop, get off, spend the night someplace in an area, spend a day or two, get back on and do that. So, cause I'm thinking, uh, the route you took, I'm thinking if you were doing it in a coach seat, it would not not be all that fun. Yeah. Now, while we didn't take a coach at all, we had uh, one of the regular rooms for the majority of it. And then we had a roomette um, when we were taking the Coast Starlight down in California. But most of it was done a regular room. But we, you know, we did pass through the, the regular coach seating. And the it's like the it's like sitting in first class on an airplane. The seats are okay. wide. They make almost completely make down almost completely flat, and they have a leg rest, kind of like a, a lazy boy chair. They have a leg rest that goes up underneath your calves, so that your legs are actually sticking out. So it's you know really not the not the worst way to travel. Uh, you know you don't have the privacy that you have in in a roomette, and you know when you're in a roomette, your all your meals are covered. When and when you're riding coach, they aren't. So you have to. Uh, but you, but they do have a dining car where you can go, there's a snack bar kind of thing and you can get burgers and chips and, uh, hot dogs and things like that. Or you, you're welcome to bring your own food. Uh, so, so it's not bad, but the seats are pretty comfortable there. And then you also have the observation car, uh, that you can spend an unlimited amount of time in. So that's, you know, and those seats are also comfortable. Some of them are like couches and some of them are regular, more like a captain's chair uh, with armrests. And then there are more, some are just regular chairs.
Oh, good deal. I've uh, I've queued up a bunch of uh, videos on YouTube to start watching and and right. make my decision before the the sale expires on the twentieth. So we'll uh, we'll see. You have one hundred and twenty days to start once you buy the ticket, and uh, and then thirty days to complete it. So uh, so it's not like I have to if I do it that I don't have to do it in the middle of of winter or something like that. Well, and I, it's even the five hundred dollars the full price. It wouldn't be a bad ticket, bad choice on that either. So it it doesn't seem like it. Yeah, with ten segments, because because I did find that like Chicago to San Francisco is considered one segment. Oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. So as long as you don't get off and take another train later. So if you just right. stay on that train, it, it's a segment. So uh, so that appealed to me, and then to do something up and down the coast as well. Uh, but honestly, also was looking on the east side of the country. I haven't been to Portland, Maine in a long time, and I haven't been to Boston in a long time. And um, there's way more options on the east side of the country right. with there Amtrak than, than there are west. And so uh, that might be interesting as well. So just started the research to, to figure that out. So, yeah. so Howard, were there any questions that I didn't ask you today that I should have asked you on the scooter side? Um, you know, I, I don't really think so. We, you know, we, we covered a whole lot, talked about, uh, the, the club that we run here, talked plenty about the magazine. Um, well, you know, one, one, uh, new event or new, uh, part of the magazine's life, I suppose I could mention it is, um, you've read the magazine, you know, that there are no advertisers in there. And that's not because I have a, a moral objection to advertisers. It's just that, um, I am, I'm self-taught on writing, uh, on doing a magazine. Uh, I did well in English in school, but, uh, so, uh, but I'd never edited anything. I, I was not in the school newspaper or the yearbook staff when I was in high school. Uh, so I, I'm learning all of this as I go, but there aren't any advertisers because I don't really know how, how to attract them, but we do have our first advertiser. So, um, and our first advertiser will be law tigers. And, uh, so looking forward to, um, uh, you know, having them on board, but that provides a little bit of additional income for the magazine. And if we attract more advertisers that will, uh, you, you had asked, uh, if there were any changes or if I thought about any changes, in the magazine and having an increased income, uh, could make it to where we could change the physical aspects of the magazine right now. Like all the photos in it are black and white. You know, this is not one of those big color glossy uh, magazines like most people are used to, but the only reason why those why those magazines can do that is because they have plenty of income from advertisers because that's very expensive to do. I did finally uh, get to the point where I could afford to do a color cover, uh, but initially the magazine did not have a color cover. It was all just black on various colors of of paper, and uh, so I did get a an advertiser, and I'm hoping that that leads the way to more, and then. Uh, you know, if we get a couple more advertisers on board, I can either uh, change the for the physical format of the magazine, as in adding uh, color, or change the magazine to a slightly larger size. I I haven't quite decided what direction I'm I might want to go with that, uh, but it'll also be dependent on getting another advertiser or two on board. You know, I have had a couple of places expressed an interest express an interest in advertising, uh, but it but we haven't haven't seen it yet. Uh, so we're kind of looking forward to that, and um, I think that'll be you know real helpful to the overall health of the magazine. But I you know I don't want it to wind up being like some of the ladies' magazines I've seen, where it's you know 
more than 50% of the magazine is ads. I, you know, I certainly don't want to do that. I want to keep with our content and I, and I won't have anybody advertise who wants to try to dictate the, the content or, you know, or change the direction of the magazine. Uh, but I am looking forward to having, you know, uh, an additional revenue source because, uh, because quite frankly, the, the subscription cost just barely covers the cost of putting that, ma- getting that magazine in the reader's hands uh, for a year between postage and printing and all that good stuff. Um, and then one thing we didn't mention is the magazine is available in both digital and print formats. Uh, and it is uh, uh, $20 for a digital subscription and $25 for a, a print subscription. Uh, but, you know, so I am not getting rich by any stretch of the, the imagination but with the magazine. Um, which is why I still have a full-time job. You know, I, and just some feedback for you before I let you go. The, I, I appreciate, uh, I read a lot of magazines, um, mostly digital now, but uh, I have always been, a, you know, I just love magazines and newspapers. And uh, the magazines that I enjoy the most now are the ones that have uh, relevant, advertising at a reasonable percentage and and many times if i'm looking for something um i look to that magazine and go look at the ads and say oh i'm going to go look at this company or that company Uh, when i first started podcasting there were a couple of of just two uh, podcast magazines and and that's how i found some of my equipment and and a couple of the other things so um I find value in having uh, advertising as long as it's not like some of those men's and women's magazines that every other page uh, is an ad. And and, and you get lost in, is this an ad or is this content? Uh, And it gets, uh, it gets a little, uh, a little confusing, which I have subscribed to since they've been in existence. Um, There are times that I look at it and I'm like, Oh, this is an ad. This is this is not content. It looks like content, but it's it's an ad for you know, me to visit someplace uh, instead of a story about about Phoenix or Crested Butte or or some other place. So uh, yeah. so yeah, that's uh, that's that gets that blurs the lines a bit. So Howard, I, I appreciate you joining me today. Where can uh, can people find you online if they want to find out more about? Um, your magazine, your your events, the things you do. Um, where can people find you? Well, we um, the the magazine is available. You can find it on social media, and it's the Scooter Zine um, on Instagram. It's Scooter underscore Zine, and then the Scooter Zine on Facebook. We also have a a web page, the the Scooter Try to keep everything pretty simple and straightforward, um, and. There is a sample issue on the uh, the scooterzine.com page, so uh, you can read a sample uh, and kind of get a feel for what it's like. Um, the scooter club that we talked about is the Sky Island Riders. Uh, the mountains around us are called Sky Islands, and th- that's where the name came from. Uh, okay. The Sky Island Riders uh, is on Facebook. We no longer have a, a web page, but you'll find that there, and that, that'll kind of give you an idea of some of the events that we're doing locally. Uh, the magazine doesn't currently have any events planned other than Amera Vespa, but if I plan on doing another um, event like what we were doing on the train trip and going to some shops and, and doing some trivia games and some 
things like that, they will certainly be posted uh, on the, the social media uh, pages. All right, good deal. Once again, I really appreciate uh, spending uh, uh, an hour with me today. That's uh, terrific information. Uh, I learned a lot, and I'm sure my listeners will uh, will enjoy this as well. Thanks again. Well, hey, thanks, Mark. I sure appreciate your support of the magazine, and uh, appreciate you inviting me to be on the on the podcast. That's that's super. Love it. Absolutely. Hope to see you in person soon. Yeah, that'd be great. Come out to Arizona sometime. <laughs>